Amsterdam Air number 23. Poetics of Fallibility. Kate Mollison in conversation with Rebecca Saunders. This is Darmstadt on Air, the podcast of the Darmstadt Summer Course with conversations on music. My name is Sylvia Freidank from the Darmstadt team and I welcome you to episode number 23. This year's Darmstadt Festival and Academy are wrapped up, but of course many conversations will continue. And so we are happy that Kate Mollison and composer Rebecca Saunders found the time to talk. They met on Zoom some days after the Darmstadt closing concert on August 11, where Rebecca's piece Dust was premiered in a new version for Percussion Ensemble. Kate Mollison is a journalist and broadcaster. She presents BBC music shows, writes for magazines and newspapers in the UK and teaches music journalism at Dartington and Darmstadt. Kate has done another interview for our Darmstadt on Air podcast. In episode number nine, she's talking to Anea Lockwood. The Berlin-based composer Rebecca Saunders has been composition tutor at Darmstadt many times. This year, she worked with Christian Dierstein's percussion class on the new version of Dust. Kate and Rebecca take the different incarnations of the piece as a kind of lens into Rebecca's work as a whole. They talk about the difficulties of writing texts on music, about bodies, gestures and theatrical elements of the performance, about working and composing under COVID conditions, about tradition and about fallibility and how to celebrate the humanness of a performance. The conversation happened quite spontaneously and that's why we apologize for the sound quality. But the content is worth listening. We hope you enjoy. Okay, great. Um, this is lovely that Darmstadt asked if, if I would do this. Um, I think the, the original idea was that it would happen kind of before the performance at the end of the festival. Um, but, you know, there's something nice about speaking after it as well. And uh, it meant that I got to watch it, which was great. And um, obviously the conversation's still completely relevant, so that's kind of nice. And we're talking a couple days after the festival. How, how did it feel to be there this year? Well, actually, I mean, of course, it was very, very different. Um, and in some ways, it was, of course, really nice just to focus on the performance. Um, it's another atmosphere. Um, if, if you've just the majority of the world, well, the vast majority of the people there were performers. And it, of course, was a very different atmosphere. Mm. Um Of course, much more relaxed. Only one main concert a day. Of course, um, although there were other other events happening every now and again during the daytime, it was though um, extremely um, productive working with the young percussionists on dust. They were extraordinary, and I think it was a very intense um, and. Um, for me, quite an inspirational period to work with them over the last few days. Yeah, I mean, that, that intensity absolutely comes across in the performance. Uh, 
that I'd love to talk about. I mean, there, so, so you had these two incarnations of dust, uh, the solo piece, and then and then this extraordinary final concert that that closed the festival. Um, and I, and I think I'd love to use this conversation, if it's all right with you, to uh, to talk about dust as a kind of lens into your work as a whole. Uh, but but maybe first, it's useful to just give us a, a quick overview of of those different incarnations of the piece, how how it has come to be in in, in its various versions. Okay. Well, I mean, we've also got Dust 2, which comes mm-hmm. in between, which um, was, um, thanks to the corona restrictions, um, was quite a spontaneous uh, um, production, really. Uh, me and uh, Christian and Dirk um, got together for a weekend, a couple of weekends uh, before the Berlin Festspiele last September, because the my... Um, um, double percussion concerto void could no longer be performed because of the restrictions. Um, uh, we were just very grateful that we'd have any kind of concert. We had an extraordinary situation. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so we had this extraordinary situation where we had the whole of the large hall of the Philharmonie in Berlin full of my percussion instruments and we were able to make a percussion concert instead of having the concerto and having an orchestra concert because no orchestras were allowed to play. And so I went to Cologne for a weekend and we met there and worked together creating out of the double concerto void a duo version of about 20 minutes and then um, also creating a duo version out of dust for 20 um, which which took 40 minutes. Um, And it was just uh, one of those rare uh, moments where COVID actually made some things happen which would never have happened, which is to have um, um, an hour percussion duo concert in the Philharmonie on the big stage. Um, And the the, the, the Christiana and Dirk were absolutely extraordinary. And we saw that as an opportunity to maybe make a larger version. So the larger version, Dust 3, was actually made out of the basic principles of how, how the duo was actually collaged uh, and we worked on this and that was basically our point of departure when we were in Darmstadt was to use that as a basis and then to develop everything further. Yeah so this 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 piece kind of grows as grows and grows as collage um, but it started as this what, what what I've seen described as a solo for two each to their yes. own what does that what does that mean? Well, I've been working with Dirk and with Christian um, for many, many years, both with both of them um, experimenting and discovering and notating and writing all different kinds of percussion sounds. Now they're very, very different, and I've built up very different kinds of percussion palettes over the years. Um, I always saw writing a percussion solo as a massive challenge, um, and they encouraged me just to go for it. And I decided then it was quite clear I had to write the solo for both of them. So I created a piece where, it, where it's actually modular. So I've got eight modules, and each one of those modules has got its own title as well. Um, and it was up to the percussionists to create their own order. Now, there's rules um, how you can collage them, how you can overlap them. And it's also very clear from the musical substance of the, the musical material of each module what one can actually do with these modules. But we, um, um, yeah, so each one of them were, were able to create their own version, their own order, their own overlapping, their own collage of these modules, and they were then premiered together in the same concert. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, I guess we can come to talking about how those modules overlapped and, and, and shifted to make, to make the bigger piece. But um, I, I, I want to draw attention to uh, something that you've written in, in your programme notes for the original Dust, and in yeah. general... Uh, I'm really curious about these texts that you write around your compositions. They're so rich and potent and 
and concise and poetic. Um, I'm interested, I guess, as someone myself who tries to find the right words to frame music, uh, I'm interested in what you feel that relationship can be and should be between the words and the music that they are summoning. Yeah, it's very, very hard, isn't it? Um, yes. I do find that writing about music is incredibly difficult, um, whether you are <laughs> whether you're an expert in the field of, of, of writing <laughs> or whether you're a composer, mm. particularly composers, I think. And, and for many, many years, decades, I would say, I found it extremely hard to write anything to accompany my pieces and zoomed in on the, on the possibility of using um, dictionary definitions mm. or um, researching the definition of a word. And that has in the last sort of 10 years actually sort of crystallized in me um, collecting um, very short definitions of a title, which, are, which at the moment, most majority of them are very, very short, like still, scar, dust, mm. um, <clears throat> void, etc. And um, um, researching the um, origins of that word collecting different ways in which that word, um, what, what for different kinds of connotations, what shadows, what echoes, what resonances that words could possibly awake um, in, in, in someone reading a program text. Um, and they, over the years, they've, um, I have actually in some pieces been writing sort of almost, I can call it poetry, mm. but very, very uh, dense um, texts, which are almost poetic, I think, in their form. Yeah. Um, where we're sort of trying to define uh, what that word means to me. I do know, just like the music, listening to music is such an extraordinarily subjective experience where you cannot predict what someone will hear, feel and think when they're listening to a piece. I think uh, in the same way, I think I want the, the word just to trigger mm. thoughts, reactions and ways into the music. So are the words, do they, be, do they become almost an extended part of the composition? Well, they could do in a way. I mean, one could actually, I had actually thought about that in a dance project I'm working on now. I had actually thought about using some of these sort of dense, um, almost poetic program texts mm. as a as a text level, as a text module, which I could integrate into the into the dance um, performance um, mm. as, as another surface, which could also be almost seen as, as another musical surface. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's something that will happen in the next couple of years. Yeah, enticing. Uh, so, so when it comes to dust, um, th- there is a single line that you use to describe the original version. Um, and and to, to me, it seems to encapsulate a lot of what your music is exploring, uh, ideas that I guess have cropped up in multiple guises in so many of your pieces. So, so this is a line that I'm thinking of. Um, the fallible physical body behind the sound, feeling the weight of sound, exploring the essence of a timbre, seeking the grit and noise within. It's so, so full, so resonant, that one sentence. Uh, So maybe we should take each of the elements on their own. I mean, fallible bodies, first of all, tell us about fallibility, fallible physical bodies. Well, um, I think that, I mean, like, as you know, and I think we've talked about this before, working uh, with musicians who play acoustic instruments or just working with live musicians, um, something that intrinsically fascinates me is um, the bodily gesture which initiates the sound and completes the sound and carries the sound. Um, <clears throat> observing 
the interaction of the musician with his or her instrument, um, observing the intimacy of that relationship, mm. a relationship which may be the longest relationship they've had in their lives. Um, uh, it's quite exquisite to watch that. I find it inspirational sometimes when I'm writing for a, a new instrument or collecting new sounds, well, for me, new sounds, is to observe that relationship and to observe this bodily, this physical interaction. Then also, I love, and I, well, it's not that I love, but I seem to write rather difficult pieces, often very virtuosic, <laughs> very virtuosic. Yeah. And I love to um, trace the, the borders of what's actually possible and not possible. But it's always incredibly important for me to acknowledge the actual physical and virtuosic um, limits of a, of a sound and to make sure that and just try, try and get it to that right point so that it's not that it's impossible, but it actually is a challenge which the musicians welcome and excites them and it's also you can feel it and follow it in the musical piece itself it creates an energy in itself and the fallibility of the bodies i mean in every virtuosic performance they will always it will always be different mm. partly because of the virtuosity of of the piece and i think that's so interesting to see which mistake will happen this time um, <laughs> yeah. what will go wrong because it's not about going wrong there is no wrong yeah, and there is no perfect rendition of a piece. There is the only there's an abstraction. That's a score. That's a kind of ideal. That's like a kind of uh, it's like the blueprint that you start with. But at the end of the day, um, as opposed to with a house, if you had a blueprint and you didn't build it properly, it would fall down. Yeah. With a piece, that's the beauty of it. Every single time, it is different. Every single time, you might fall off here or fall off there. And um, and I think it's wonderful to actually absorb uh, or observe the plasticity of a piece. Mm. How, how flexible it can be and what kind of form can you build. So if you do fall over at this bit, you can pick yourself up at the other bit. And it, it sort of celebrates the imperfection, I think, of a performance situation and how wonderful that is and how special it is that every single time it is different. Yeah. It's always different. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering also how, how much you're thinking about the theatre of the performance, the gesture. Uh, I know you've talked elsewhere about the beauty in theatre of writing for a soprano like Juliet Fraser standing on a stage, you know, her facial gestures, her breathing. Um, how does that stage change when you're writing for percussionists, for example? I mean, watching the watching the, the video of, of the performance of Dust, the group performance of Dust at Darmstadt, I just was so absorbed with the loose, slow poise of these players absolutely beautiful how much is that integral to the way that you're writing well i think with percussionists it's particularly interesting and there's a strong theatrical element always i think um when you uh, observe percussion instruments because you are so aware of the changing of the beaters someone is standing they're not sitting so the whole body is invested in the performance in a way that becomes acutely obvious when you're watching a performance, you know. Um, uh, but it, all it does is emphasise what is already there in any performance. When the pianist sits down at a, at a, at a grand piano, you also have this um, theatrical um, um, presence, don't you? And mm. expectation. Um, what is theatre? This sense of expectation, this waiting for the sound, waiting for the event, um, the, the electricity before the, the sound actually starts, the moment of silence which closes the piece when it has been finished. There's always a, a, an, a, an element of theatre in it. But um, I found it, it was something we were talking about after the concert, actually, 
um, the night before last is that um, <clears throat> because of the um, static quality of the crystal rings module, which mm. um, it was is the second to last um, part of Dust Three. Um, it was it's, they, they, the musicians at the beginning, uh, the the young performers. Um, some of them found it very difficult to stay in the sound mm. and to actually not watch each other, not be aware of what everybody else is doing, of, of being over aware of what everybody else is doing and not staying in the sound, staying in this performance situation. And by the time we finished it, I mean, that module just got longer and longer and longer in mm-hmm. the performance. It couldn't have been any longer, I think. And it was amazing how two of the performers just, just couldn't stop. They could have just, they could have just like kind of transcended, I think, <laughs> to heaven. They just wouldn't stop. And that was a strong physicality, I think, and a strong theatrical element in the performances that they had two groups of performers one group with the who were actually playing the crystal um prayer balls and the other group who were moving the snare drums around to create these this another layer of of, um, of pulses and uh, the interaction between them i thought was really really beautiful yeah. and we really worked on on the that they moved slowly and if you make a decision to move then you go there and then you perform your action with a deliberation um which is very akin, very much akin to how you work in theatre, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to ask about that, actually, how you worked with these young musicians to help them to become as alert as they needed to be to that deep set of rituals, what, what seemed to me to be rituals around them, around their bodies and around their instruments. How, how did you do that work in the days before the performance? Well, I mean, Christian Dierstein, he was working with the musicians for a whole week before I arrived. Mm-hmm. And Dierk was also arrived like a day before me. And um, both Christian and Dierk worked intensely with the musicians on exploring also the sounds. It's mm-hmm. not just about playing everything correctly. Mm-hmm. It was actually about um, exploring the different modules and that they actually began to um, create their own vision of how the modules could be juxtaposed and what and how different and contrasting the the different modules were in the piece um, when I arrived um, uh, was, was I think that there's there's two different parts of this process tonight you get to the point where um, where you stop thinking about whether you're playing together and whether you're following and you're coming in at the right point and am I in group one or the group two or, or in group two, and um, just before, on the on the day before the concert, I, I, there was a moment and Christian was talking also about the preparation of the decision to make a sound, moving to the sound, placing the stone, releasing your fingers, letting the sound happen, and I was talking about how it's really important to at some point let go of uh, this this idea of playing everything right mm. or wrong mm. you know there's no right performance there's no wrong performance there's no correct interpretation if you're late still play it forte and be convinced mm. of the presence of the sound and to actually always to be listening to the sound that's something really important i think the percussion is that you can always let the resonances move through the acoustic space, be aware of what the others are playing. And you can't do that at the beginning. First of all, you've actually got to get quite a long way um, into into perfecting um, the technical uh, technical 
the techniques of, of a module and at some point you just have to let go that's the last phase isn't it when you're learning something at some point you've got to let go and just uh, listen to the sounds and be in dialogue with each other and be in dialogue with the acoustic and the architecture of the performance space mm-hmm. that sense of complete awareness and conviction behind every gesture behind every sound it uh, it brings us nicely to the next part of the quotation uh, back to our original quotation um, feeling the weight of sound and as as far as I understand it this is something that you've been thinking about for a long time um, ever since studying with Wolfgang Riem in the early 90s um, and way back then you were talking about holding sound in your hands every mark on the white page having to be weighed and judged uh, has that intense awareness of the materiality of sound how has that changed for you in the, in, in the in the past 30 years that's really hard to answer. I don't know how it's changed for me. I don't think it's changed at all. I think it's one of, for me, one of the basic principles which guide me when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, it's not judging the sound; it's weighing the sound. It's uh, yeah. um, being um, aware of the potential of a sound fragment and what you could possibly do with it, where it can lead one way. You can take it. Um, if it pulls me in one direction, I pull it in the other and see where we go. Mm. Uh, it's, I find it very exciting to explore a sound fragment and to try and go right into the molecular structure of the sound and just see where it takes me. Mm. Um, see if there's any dialectical qualities in the sound which could make it actually sort of be the basis of a, of a whole piece or something. Mm. Um the weighing the sound. I don't think that's changed really very much. I think that's just something such a basic precept when I'm working. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and the sense of tactility and touch that is so integral in, in that starting point. Um, I suppose it makes me think of where we are right now this past year and a half when, when senses of touch, things that we took for yeah. granted have come to mean something else, something quite loaded, when every touch could feel dangerous somehow and, and when we're longing to reach out to people that we were apart from. Um, have have your feelings about touch and tangibility and tactility um, changed over the past year and a half? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it's probably rather hard for us still to actually mm. um, assess what kind of how that's influenced our relationships to each other and our relationships to our different senses. You know, one forgets sometimes that touch is also a sense. Mm. Uh, something I, I was very occupied with exploring when I wrote this piece, Skin, which was also about the, the sense of the, tan- the tangibility of, 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 of touching things, of, of surface and of, of feelings, the, 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 the smoothness or the roughness of the surface or peeling back the surface of the thing. Um, it's something strange as when we, when we can't touch each other. Um, mm. I think it's probably, yeah, I think it's, it changed for me a lot of things, not actually sharing the same acoustic real real acoustic space for somebody when working on on a piece the last piece i just finished last week um i was um, only able to meet once with the singer mm. and i was able fortunately to meet twice with the saxophone player uh, but with the other musicians i was unable to meet at all and because it's such a chamber music piece it was extremely difficult for me to uh, not be sharing the same space and not be exploring sound together yeah. I found that aim very, very hard. And I think if that would, were to go on for much longer, I would have to completely reassess how I compose yeah. and what I compose, I think. 
That's interesting. Has it opened up any different kinds of ways of working or opportunities? Do you think there's anything that can be gained from that kind of space? You can gain you can gain something from everything. <laughs> there is always something to find. There is always a way in which we can try and actually make the best of a very difficult situation and perhaps um, reassess completely our working processes and how we interact with each other. Of course, there are some little things which came out of it which are quite extraordinary. Um, just, I mean, being um, writing so many solos, working one-to-one with musicians instead of working with 20 musicians um, has an intimacy and intensity, um, um, which is really fantastic. Mm. Um, writing solos means, um, I mean, right, I find that writing a solo is one of the, the most difficult challenges because of the, way, the way in which you work with sound, where you work without points of reference outside of maybe a core group of sounds, um, the way in which structure and form is built, I think is one of the most difficult challenges really um and um i think that's been really wonderful to focus all the more on all these duos and solos mm-hmm. i've been writing recently um that really makes my brain um, <laughs> sort of hurt sometimes it's great it's really it's, it's a good challenge for me i think um okay listen next part of the quotes uh, exploring the essence of a timbre I, I love the attention and alertness in that um, and, and you mentioned earlier already this this thing of really taking a sound to its most um, extreme and vulnerable places as well as the real core of the sound you, you know you go there you trace those borders you 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 work those thinnest lines of, as you put it um, you know it seems there's this innate drama in risking those edges I'm, I imagine it's a very fragile thing um how do you how do you ride that tension um that's the interesting right well writing is all about notation isn't it right and it's really important no, it's not all about notation of course not <laughs> sorry but notation is incredibly important but maybe i'll come to it that at the end but going um what does that mean seeking the essence of a timbre? i mean god what does that mean um I think I sort of mentioned something about, I like the image of going into the molecular structure of a sound, trying to work out what the absolute essence of a sound is, how you can strip that layer and layer and layer and actually find out what is the really most essential, um, what is the defining characteristics of the sound. Um, And also to explore different variations of that sound, Um, to take a sound and just change the way, um, whether it's an accent or a tenuto at the beginning, how you go into the sound, how you leave the sound, whether it's framed in silence, whether uh, whether it's layered with just a thin line in the upper stratosphere of the sound, or whether you've got some deep pulse going on at the back, whether it's at the background of, of a gesture or whether it actually pushes into the foreground, how, um, how a, 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 a tiny fragment of sound can actually be radically transformed just, um, just, uh, just through the context within which you place it is really, really interesting. So you can actually repeat the, an identical sound cell and it's completely transformed just according to what's going on around it. Or you can gradually mutate a sound. I think that's also really, really fun that you gradually mutate a sound so at the end of a piece it's become something completely different that's a very long and um, um, sort of almost explorative investigative um, process 
And I think really important is also to think about notation. You have to develop a notation which is immediately apparent to a performer what you actually want, uh, which communicates directly with a performer and which also enables one through the notation itself as a parallel to what you hear in your head when you're writing to actually also develop through the notation possible Mm. new forms in which a sound can actually be um, performed and perceived. So you've got this kind of dual process. I think that. It's also quite exciting. Mm. Um, yeah. there's some, I don't know, it's, it sounds all very technical and terrible, but um, that actual process can be extraordinarily intuitive. Or not intuitive, all you do is you go in the sound and you stay in there. Mm. Mm. And that's really fun. <laughs> and 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 you know, t- hearing you talk about the 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 sound as a relative thing to what what is about it, I guess brings us to the the last part of this wonderful sentence that we're exploring: um, seeking the grit and the noise within. Um, uh, and and I'm I'm fascinated because it seems that you let in this element of very controlled and pre-selected muck or clatter, uh, given given your precision in so many elements of your writing. There's this there's this permission for something that is that is mucky and and I love that that kind of contrast Uh, I guess I'm thinking of music boxes in chroma um scratchy record players on loop um yeah given you're so deliberate about timbre and so so very alert what's the role of those kind of pre-made objects that I that that maybe are cruder than the instrumental sounds that you are so careful with elsewhere Mm. Well, there is also something really refreshing about the simplicity of them mm. um, and having a kind of object toolie that you can, um, a sort of uh, lost and found object, which you can then place within a, an almost foreign context that provides instantly uh, a very clear formal contrast. You've got this relief just just stated something and that's really exciting um it's that's formally very it's a very simple mechanism to use that uh, which i discovered very very early on but i i think um i think the grit and the noise that's got more to do with um the, the human the, the fallibility of mm. the performance situation of the performance of the of the relationship between the, the performer and his instrument of arranging me and my pencil on my paper um there's always there's always mistakes there's always something that goes wrong and to celebrate that you know mm-hmm. um you know when i uh, ask a musician to play pianissimo dyads on an instrument and every third one goes slightly wrong or doesn't the notes don't play together and you get this kind of background kind of Mm. um, air noise behind it that's what I want I want the instrument in all its fallibility to be apparent to explore the mechanics of the instrument the uh, mechanics of the performance situation to hear the breath going around the reed um, to be yeah just to to celebrate the the humanness of the performance situation I think it's got something to do with that and also, I mean, I love to explore the perfection of a gesture, but I'm also very, very aware of how I'm, of, of 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 the noise and the grit around the sound. Like, I don't know. 
I mean, I, I mean, I could never, for example, well, I'll say that now, but I could never live in the countryside, for example. I love to live in the city. Mm. I love the, the sounds of the cars, of the, of the stones, of the people, of the, or the, the collage of sound, this feeling of being in this knot of acoustic energy mm. um, and how our ears are constantly filtering out one strand or the other, how our brains are um, sometimes actually incapable of um, um, differentiating between this web, um, this knot of, of frequencies which surround us. And I find it incredibly um, exciting and at the same time uh, very calming. It's for me very, very most natural thing in the world is sort of be living in the middle of this of this mess of sound. I love that. And then to take a thread out of that sound yeah. and to draw a thread and then to make something and then to mould it, to give it contours and then to let it go. I think that's really exciting. It makes me think of this lovely thing that uh, that Christian uh, Dierstein said at Darmstadt about dust. Um he was ta- he was talking about the meaning of the word dust is a deposit and refers to remnants of things, remnants of the path that are left. Of course, there are many new and fresh sounds in this piece, but dust also refers to a certain tradition. And that's what the piece yeah. alludes to as well. So that that was interesting to me, this 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 entry of the word tradition in the middle of all of this. What do you think of that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure what tradition... Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, my, my music is very much connected to the past. Um, I really, I was trained as a classical musician. I was brought up in a house where my parents were both classical musicians, pianists. Um, I was sort of born into that tradition, I suppose, and it would be absurd and strange were I to deny that. Um, and drawing on that, building on that, um, continuing that, breaking with it, and then returning to it is definitely has got a lot to do with the way in which I write music. Um, the tradition of virtuosity mm. is, of course, extremely apparent in the solo or the duo version of the piece, but also in the ensemble version of the piece. Um, yeah, on the tradition of having, quite simply, a performer on the stage waiting for silence and playing us music and we sit in the, in the audience and we listen and we're grateful and happy. <laughs> it's yeah. cool. <laughs> yes, yeah. grateful and happy, absolutely. Um, just thinking about what you were saying a moment ago about uh, cities and the thrum of the acoustic energy, um, which is a beautiful image and, and drawing out those lines from within it, um, again, makes me think of uh, this this past year and a half um sound and silence and the shift in noise levels i suppose the shift in that acoustic energy um uh, literal and and metaphorical in many ways um um it reminds me of of something that you said elsewhere it's something about taking away a surface of sound and leaving a resonance to which the ear adjusts um Uh, taking that away, hearing the buzz of the PA system, turning that off and then you hear the snoring in the back row. You wake him up and you hear the faint rumble of a trolley in the cafeteria and when you focus on that, it can be astonishingly loud. So it's all of those kind of relative silences and sounds. Um, what what have you been hearing astonishingly loudly this past period and, and now that the sounds have been taken away? Silence. Uh, and how painful that is sometimes now. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, I guess I think that's a really interesting parallel to actually to the experience most of the majority of us have actually had, um, taking away the surface of things and um, being forced to um, confront 
very often the painful reality of everyday existence, uh, the life you're living, the relationship you're in, uh, the music you're writing, um, you know, how you focus in on your music in a very, very different way if you don't actually hear it live. It's very, very strange for a composer to do that. But I think all of us in all, all different work, work, areas of work, we all just um, had to, we all are confronted, I think, with a, a new perception of what we do and how we live. Mm. And it's sometimes very painful to see with what, um, on one hand, what arrogance and what um, ignorance we um, we live without actually reassessing every now and again what, what is actually important mm. and what, what means something to us. Um, I think, I don't know, it's just, everyone's had their, everyone's been tested to the limit, haven't mm. they? Mm. Um, Absolutely. Um, and, and I suppose having to reconsider what our own personal positions are within the, the, the greater resonance, you know, us as resonating chambers at the heart of all of that urban thrum in, in the case of being a person in a city or maybe more specifically as someone listening to a performance in, in a concert hall, uh, in a physical space. Berlin was shocking. Um, yeah. The science. I mean, on the one hand, it was extraordinary to explore the city as if for the very first time to be walking down the main boulevard uh, onto Ben Linden and it's empty, no cars, no people, just walking around in a ghost town. And, you know, this, this apocalyptic uh, um, scenario, mm. you're just walking down the street and there's nobody there. It's so strange. And one, on the one hand, it had an extraordinary beauty you know, um, like landing on a foreign planet and the mm. silence of, in the streets. And, um, but um, on, the, on the other hand, I mean, I found it very, very hard to work in this um, almost unnatural silence. I, I, I realised that I, I need to withdraw into, the, into my solitude of my working space, um, um, but I need to feel feel um, and and feel the energy around me. I need to know that life is moving on. I need to hear those fragments and, of sounds. I need to be disturbed. I need to fight for my space. Hmm. There was something very disturbing about this endlessness of hmm. the whole thing. Is it too early to figure out how this experience might change your work, might, might enter your work? I have no idea. I mean, I do have some ideas, but I think it's rather, I, I, I don't, uh, I think it, it's changed everybody so fundamentally. I don't know if it's going to have changed my work. I, I do know that this, these past year and a half has changed my life radically. And that will obviously change what very much what I write, but my music would have changed anyway. And my life would have changed anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. Well, we'll wait to find out. Listen, thank you so much for for being so open and um, and uh, insightful about the process and and about this extraordinary um, evolution of this piece. And um, as I said, it's fantastic to be able to watch it um, now that we've had that conversation. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks so much, Rebecca. It's been fantastic to speak.